Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, as promised, I'm going to be jumping into the Pesky Kids today. That's a series of books I've written. So today we're going to be reading from The Pesky Kids Near Extinction, which is the fourth book in the series, or as I like to think of it, the red one with a picture of a dinosaur on the cover. Uh, So if you didn't catch the first three books in the series, I've already read them on the podcast. You can go back and listen to them to get up to speed, but I'm pretty sure you'll be able to follow along with the plot, because I'm going to start off by reading the prologue, which is basically a recap from the end of the last book. So let's just get stuck in. Here we go. Prologue. Okay, said the cat lady, flipping the book shut and chanting something she had clearly said many times in a sing-song voice. Do you, Harold Octavius Pesky, take Ingrid Sarah Bjork to be your lawful wedded wife, to love and honour her from this day forth and for as long as you both shall live? There was a silence except for the scurrying of cockroaches in the dark corners of the room and the wind creaking the rusty iron roof. Everyone stared at Dad, waiting for him to speak. Um, said Dad nervously. Everyone leaned in a slight bit closer to hear what he would say next. Dad turned to Ingrid, looking into her startlingly blue eyes. They looked like alpine lake water, blue and pure. You could almost drown in them. Dad almost wished he could drown in them to avoid this excruciating moment of decision. But he had to say something. Dad drew a deep breath and said, I... Suddenly the door burst open and a bedraggled, rake-thin woman staggered into the room. Stop! cried the woman. She lurched towards them. She looked exhausted. "'Who are you?' demanded Miss Klaus. She'd been expecting some sort of legal intervention, but usually legal intervention came from someone better dressed. "'I am Svetlana Borovsky,' said the woman between panting breaths. "'I am here to stop this wedding. I have been sent by... (gasps) She struggled for breath. The suspense was agonising. Everyone was desperate to know. "'Who sent you?' asked Loretta. "'Professor Maynard?' asked Finn. The Department of Immigration, asked Miss Klaus. No, rasped the thin woman. She lurched forward again and clutched hold of Dad's forearm for support. I have been sent to stop this wedding by Dr. Eleanor Banfield, your wife. Dad yelped with fear. Ah! The woman collapsed with exhaustion. April grinned triumphantly. I knew Mum wouldn't let us down. Chapter One. It's off. Right, that's it. The wedding is off, announced Dad. No, said Miss Klaus. All the more reason to push on. We need to stabilise Miss Borg's citizenship status. Nay, said Ingrid, reverting to Swedish. We must stop. But why, pleaded Loretta. You can always divorce him later. We'd all love to see a nice wedding. It's so romantic. We're in a rodent-infested, spider-ridden, derelict one-room courthouse, said April. How is that romantic? Pumpkin barked excitedly. He just cornered one of the rats behind the old witness box. It's certainly memorable, said Loretta. 
Hey, said Finn, eyeing Loretta with suspicion. Did you pay this woman to turn up and stop the wedding just to make it memorable? No, chuckled Loretta. Although it is a good idea, I'm surprised more people don't do it, especially brides with cold feet. It would be a good way to call off a wedding without the recriminations being aimed at you. I think we should call an ambulance, stammered Joe. He had helped Setlana over to a seat and was fanning her with one of Miss Clow's legal pads. This lady does not look well. She's fine, said April. She just needs a decent meal. We should take her over to the Good Times Cafe for a milkshake and an egg and bacon roll. I like this idea, said Ingrid. Why don't you just finish the wedding off first, said Loretta. Then the egg and bacon rolls can be the reception. Surely the wedding can wait half an hour while we hear what this woman has to say, said Finn. Ms. Klaus looked at her watch. Fine, but it's all going on your bill, and I charge $800 an hour. That's all right, said Loretta. The egg and bacon rolls only cost $5, so we'll be saving money there. Water! I need water! gasped Fetlana. Nah, you really don't, said April. There's something weird in the water here. Turns everyone into morons. You're better off sticking with the strawberry milkshakes. Ten minutes later, they were all crowded into a booth at the Good Times Cafe, eating egg and bacon rolls. Most of them had completed the mud run just the previous day, so everyone, even those who weren't literally starving, were starving. There wasn't any conversation for a while, just the sound of them scoffing food. Even Pumpkin was silent as he sat on April's lap. The rat he had eaten earlier had been delicious. The only one not focused on food was Henrietta Klaus. The Good Times Cafe did not have any low-fat, low-carb paleo options on their menu, so she checked the messages on her phone instead. Even that she would have preferred to do outside. Henrietta didn't like the thought of the fumes from the deep-fat fryer getting into the fabric of her $3,000 Italian suit. She even refused to drink the Good Times Cafe's coffee. They made their coffee with a drip filter, and Ms. Klaus had not drunk filter coffee since she was eight years old. But she never travelled anywhere without her travel espresso machine, and Joy, the perpetually sullen waitress, agreed to let her use it in the cafe in exchange for a $50 tip. Joy almost smiled when Miss Klaus handed over the banknote. She had never been given a tip before. She briefly considered if there was some way she could make this happen again, but then she realised that would involve her being nice to customers, and Joy was not prepared to do that. So she continued about her job as sullenly as ever. Eventually, after eating three-quarters of an egg and bacon roll and drinking half a milkshake, some colour was starting to return to Svetlana's face. She would have drunk more, except the Good Times Cafe's milkshakes were so thick you needed considerable core strength to suck them up through the straw. And she would have eaten more, except Joe had seen she was struggling and being a considerate boy with a never-ending appetite, he had helpfully finished her roll for her. "'So tell us all about it,' urged Loretta. "'Have you really seen their mum?' Yeah, said Svetlana. This is true. I see her. I live with her. Really, said Loretta, arching her eyebrows. We were both prisoners in the same block, said Svetlana. Your mother is in prison, exclaimed Loretta. Why is this the first I'm hearing about this? Shush up so we can fill you in later. We want to hear what she's got to say. I was in the cell next door to your mother, continued Svetlana. They put me there because I no speak English. They no want anyone to talk to her. She is the most dangerous prisoner. But you can't speak English, said Finn. Your syntax is dreadful and your vocabulary is limited, but your English is better than half the people here in Karawong. I speak the English because your mother, she teach me, said Svetlana. She in special cell. She can no escape. She teach me the English, then she teach me how to escape, so I get message to man. What man, said Loretta? 
Herman, said Svetlana. Harold Pesky. Oh, sorry, said Loretta. I don't think of Mr. Pesky as a man, but now you explain it, I guess that does make sense. Is Mum all right? asked April. She is a strong woman, said Svetlana. Really, said Finn. Joe always used to have to open jam jars for her. She is strong in the mind, said Svetlana. Ha! scoffed April. Her mind might be strong when it comes to remembering the names of dinosaur bones, but she could never remember the day of the week. Svetlana shook her head. No, your mother, she has great power. Are you sure we're talking about the same person? asked Finn. Short lady, a little overweight, frizzy hair, glasses bent from where she keeps walking into things. I never see her, said Svetlana. She whispered to me through the pipes that run between our rooms. Please, said April. Maybe there was no one in the cell next to yours and the voices in the pipes have been the ones telling you to do these things. I know what she tell me, said Svetlana, getting agitated. She say, go to husband, tell husband, no marry. She's a strong woman. I do what she say. Yes, very good, said Dad kindly. You certainly done that. Well done. You just like Svetlana because she got you out of having to marry Ingrid, accused April. Ingrid flushed. Ingrid did not usually display any visible sign of emotion. But when you are a tall, blonde, gorgeous Nordic goddess, it does somewhat dent the pride to have a bumbling, overweight, middle-aged man desperate to avoid marrying you. Dad looked sheepish. I would be very proud to marry Ingrid, he said, but perhaps not today. But why does Mum want Dad back, asked Finn. No offence, Dad, but she hasn't shown any interest in seeing you for the last 11 years. Oh, no offence taken, said Dad. I don't think. Dr. Banfield no say she want her man back, said Svetlana. She just say, stop the wedding. Oh, said Dad. She probably just hates Ingrid, said April. Perhaps she's sweetophobic, said Loretta. Huh? asked Joe. She could have an irrational fear of Swedish people, said Loretta. They all looked at Ingrid. It would actually be quite rational to have a fear of her. I can't hold off the immigration department forever, said Miss Klaus. If you don't marry, they'll come back with more cars and more warrants and there won't be anything I can do. I have an idea, said Ingrid. Ingrid did not often say much. She'd spent over two years pretending she couldn't speak English at all. So when she did speak, everyone fell silent and listened. Before Mr. Pesky and I marry, we should get to know each other better. Oh, now hold on, said Dad. Let's not get carried away. We don't want to rush things. We should go on holiday together, continued Ingrid. I love it, declared Loretta. So romantic. But I don't. Ow, cried Dad. Ingrid had kicked him hard under the table. But I don't want to. Ow! cried Dad again. Do you realise you just kicked me twice? Ingrid kicked him again, a third time. Ow! said Dad. I'd take that as a yes if I were you, Dad, said Joe. We go on holiday, said Ingrid. But, began Dad. Ingrid glared at Dad. My foot is getting tired. Please don't make me kick you again. All right, whimpered Dad. What are we going to do with Svetlana? asked Joe. She's not very well. I'm sure she'll be taken care of by Professor Maynard, said Dad. No, yelled Svetlana. Not the Maynard. She leapt to her feet and stumbled away from the booth. It's all right, said Joe. No, 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 protested Svetlana. I will not be taken care of. Good one, Dad, said April. She thinks you're going to get Professor Maynard to knock her off. Oh, goodness, no, gushed Dad, rushing to reassure Svetlana. By taken care of, I only meant care of, not the inverted commas type of taken care of. Svetlana turned on her heel and ran. 
I don't think Svetlana's command of English was great enough to follow the nuance of your semiotic explanation, said Finn. Oh, dear, said Dad. I will find her, said Ingrid, getting to her feet and brushing past Joy, the sullen waitress, on her way out. The kids are going to have a field day with this at school, said April, as she sucked loudly on her thick shake. Hey, parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 2. At School April was entirely wrong. Children, by their nature, are narcissistic beasts. The other students at Currawong High were still caught up in the excitement of the mud run. For more information, see The Pesky Kids 3, Stuck in the Mud. After all, it's not every day that an Olympic athlete robs the bank and is hauled off to prison. So no one had noticed the thin European woman running about town or the fact that Dad had been moments away from getting married. Joe was more popular and admired than ever because he had won the mud run, cementing his reputation as being strong, silent and athletic. This was much to Joe's chagrin. Now even more girls had a crush on him. Up until this point, the fact that Daisy Odin's daughter, a stunningly beautiful and athletic girl, had marked him out as her territory, had protected Joe from all the other girls setting their caps at him. But now that Joe was Currawong High's lawn bowls champion and mud run winner, he was too alluring. Girls were prepared to take on Daisy to try and win him over. As a result, Joe spent all of recess and lunch every day running from one hiding spot to the next as he struggled to avoid his onslaught of admirers. On the Thursday after the mud run, however, Joe had a brief reprieve. He didn't have to go out into the playground at recess. There had been an announcement over the PA system that all the geography students had to report to the geography classroom. When he arrived there, there were already 40 or so students waiting. The first person he spotted was Daisy. She narrowed her eyes when she saw him, like a lioness sizing up a lame antelope, waiting for her moment to pounce. Joe broke out in a cold sweat. He took a step back, but was shoved hard from behind. Out of the way, lard butt. It was April. Joe was so relieved to see her and Finn. They both studied geography as well. Daisy wouldn't try anything with April there. April would never help him, but if a fight broke out, she would get involved. Everyone knew it, and no one wanted that to happen. She fought with the inner rage of a volcano. Why has someone gathered all the geography students in one room? asked April. Perhaps they're planning to kill us, said Finn. Everyone turned to look at Finn. It was such an odd thing to say. Finn realised he'd said something inappropriate, so he tried to fix it by adding, which would never happen. Better to kill the drama students. They'd be a softer target. It'll just be about the annual geography excursion, said Kieran. He was a know-it-all who never missed an opportunity to remind everyone of his encyclopedic knowledge of Currawong customs. Ugh, said April. I knew we shouldn't have picked geography as an elective. You didn't have to, said Finn. He really liked geography. It was one of his favourite subjects. He would have loved it if his sister had gone off and studied something else instead. Perhaps needlework or deep breathing, something that would calm her down. Yeah, I did, said April. Geography sounded like the easiest subject to pass. you just got to memorise a bunch of imports and exports and know how to read contour lines. And it's an automatic A. Much better than physics or something where they try and get you to think. 
Oh, heaven forbid, said Finn. The door swung open, and Mr. Lang, the school counsellor, bounced into the room. It was so rare to see him happy. His job had not been easy since the pesky kids had arrived in Karawong. Something very good must have happened. I have wonderful news, said Mr. Lang, smiling happily. The annual geography excursion to observe erosion in an agricultural environment has been cancelled. All the geography students erupted into cheers, whoops and cries of delight. April and Finn were baffled. There was meant to be an excursion to observe erosion, asked April. Yeah, they do it every year, said Kieran. It's the easiest trip to organise. They drive us out to old Lady Barty's back paddock and we look at the dried up creek bed. But what's there to observe, asked Finn. Surely erosion is something that's not there. It's something that has eroded. I don't know. I've never got to go on the excursion, said Kieran. This was going to be my first time. He seemed a little put out. Erosion was the type of boring thing he would be interested in. Shh, said Mr Lang at the front of the room. The reason we aren't going to look at Mrs Bartholomew's erosion this year is because the school has been awarded a special grant by Siores, the Scientific Education of Regional Youth Society. They are providing the money so we can afford the petrol to take you to... He paused and smiled here, obviously enjoying the opportunity for once to give actual good news. The Galagan Bone Dinosaur Park. Woohoo! The room exploded with excitement. Students were cheering and chattering excitedly about the news. What's the Galagenbone Dinosaur Park? asked April. It's a farmer's field in the middle of nowhere with big fiberglass models of dinosaurs, explained Animesh. Why are they so excited about that? asked April. Well, it's more exciting than erosion, explained Animesh. Only marginally, said April. April doesn't like dinosaurs, explained Finn, because of mum. What about your mum? asked Matilda. Finn realised he'd made a mistake. They weren't meant to mention their past, or their mother, and in particular, they weren't meant to mention their past as it related to their mother. Oh, nothing, said Finn. It can't be nothing, said Animesh. She was a huge dinosaur nerd, said April. Huh? said Matilda. Mum was a paleontologist, a dinosaur scientist, explained Finn. Oh, said Animesh. I take it back. That isn't interesting. We know, said April. April also knew that paleontology was just their mother's cover identity. Really, she was an international super spy. But still, any mention of dinosaurs made April angry. It reminded her of her mother's deceit. And now, said Mr Lang, pausing to let the conversation die down, here to present the grant from the Museum of Natural History, we have the senior professor of paleontology, Professor Maynard. April literally fell off her chair. Finn yelped with fear. Joe leapt up and stood in a protective stance in front of his family. They watched as the familiar, buxom, middle-aged lady bustled onto the stage in her scruffy tweed jacket and dishevelled hair. You would never guess she was the mastermind behind an international counter-espionage unit. Girls and boys, said Professor Maynard brightly, it's so wonderful to be here in Currawong to present you with the first annual paleontological high school grant. She was smiling broadly, but the pesky kids knew that Professor Maynard smiled broadly when she did lots of things, like tell you that your mum was being held in a secret prison, or throw a can of high explosives into your house and demolish it. So if anything, the smile on Professor Maynard's face made them more frightened. I know the opportunity to see real life-sized models of some of the most famous Jurassic reptiles will be an experience you treasure for the rest of your lives, said Professor Maynard. 
however long that may be. She glared at the pesky kids as she said this. They got the distinct impression she wasn't expecting them to have long lives. You will have the opportunity to get away from your mundane high school life, continued Professor Maynard. Hey, protested Mr. Lang. You know it's true, heckled Animesh. Mr. Lang nodded glumly. And see, up close, even touch, great big dinosaurs, said Professor Maynard. Something no one got to do when dinosaurs were still alive because mammals hadn't evolved yet. Matilda Vosnevers put up her hand and called out, I don't believe in evolution. Good for you, said Professor Maynard. I like a young woman who knows her mind. All the facts may be against you, but facts are easy to manipulate. So it's wise to be sceptical of everything. Again, she glared at the pesky kids. I'm sure, young lady, continued Professor Maynard, you will enjoy the excursion just as much. Apart from dinosaurs, there will be lots of other wonderful scientific phenomena you can observe at the park, like... Professor Maynard struggled to think of anything. She turned to Mr. Lang for support. Ah, said Mr. Lang. Erosion? Exactly, said Professor Maynard. Erosion. Wonderful phenomena. If it weren't for erosion, we wouldn't have found so many dinosaurs. They'd still be in the ground, wouldn't they? (laughs) (laughs) Professor Maynard evidently thought this was a joke because she laughed out loud at her own observation. Several of the students laughed as well, but mainly because they were nervous to see such a large, possibly insane woman amused. Jolly good, concluded Professor Maynard. Continue on. Here's your check. She handed Mr. Lang an oversized cardboard check. Now, Mr. Ling. Lang, said Mr. Lang. Are you sure, asked Professor Maynard. Um, said Mr. Lang. Professor Maynard burst into overloud laughter. <laughs> of course you know your own name. There could be no possible explanation for being confused about that. Now you are going to take me on a tour of your lovely school. She bustled out of the room in much the same eccentric way she'd bustled in. Mr. Lang hurried to keep up with her. Should we be fleeing for our lives? Finn whispered to April. They picked up their bags and started ambling unenthusiastically towards their next class. April shrugged. Maybe she did just come to give our school money to go on a dinosaur excursion. I don't think Professor Maynard really cares about dinosaurs, said Finn. They all stopped walking. Trying to work out what Professor Maynard was up to was making all sorts of dreadful possibilities run through their minds. We need to check on Dad, said April. If she's here, this could be a distraction. Good thinking, said Finn. Come on. Finn tugged on Joe's shirt sleeve. We need to have sudden, simultaneous earaches. Huh? said Joe. We're chucking a sickie, said April. Skiving off. Wagging. Get with the program, will you? If Maynard is here, we need to check that Dad isn't being bundled into a van back at home. Oh, yeah, said Joe. How are we going to convince the school that we're all sick simultaneously, asked Finn. Stand still, I'll punch you, said April. She pulled back her arm to let fly her fist. No, said Joe, grabbing hold of her elbow. It's perfect, protested April. If he doesn't get a nosebleed, he'll at least get concussion. Then he can hit me back and then we can both go home. No, said Joe, you're on your last strike for fighting. You'll get expelled. April realised Joe was right. She dropped her fist. We need something more subtle, said Finn. Food poisoning, suggested April. But then we'd all have to throw up, said Finn. I don't want to do that, said Joe. Joe took eating very seriously. He didn't want to do it in reverse. We could fake the symptoms of measles, said Finn. What are they, asked April. Elevated temperature, clammy skin and red spots, said Finn. You want us to draw spots on ourselves with a marker, asked April. It might work, said Finn. I don't know, said Joe. If we throw up, no one will come near us to get a closer look, said Finn. I can't be bothered drawing on all the spots, said April. It'd take forever. Well, I'm not letting you punch me in the face, said Finn. April had stopped and was looking up. 
I've got a better idea. What? asked Joe. Look, said April, pointing at something in the tree above them. The branch seemed to have grown a brown lump. What is that? asked Joe. The lump was directly above his head. Being the tallest, it was only a few feet away. The lump seemed to be buzzing. A bee's nest, said April. Joe was not stupid, but he was not a quick thinker. Or, to be more accurate, he was not a deranged thinker, so his brain was not able to guess the progress of April's thoughts. Finn had guessed and tried to make a run for it, but April had grabbed him by the wrist with one hand and used her other hand to slip a bag off her shoulder, swing it in a big loop and hurl it up at the tree. The whole thing took less than a second. Joe looked across to see why Finn was yelling, and the next thing he knew, something landed on top of his head. Two things to be exact, April's school bag, then the buzzing lump. In the next second, Joe's head was engulfed in a cloud of angry, buzzing insects. Run! Finn screamed. Joe could only just hear him above the buzzing. Joe ran. They all did, in separate directions. Finn ran and jumped in the school's ornamental fish pond. April ran to the girls' bathroom. But the bees were not gender-biased. They followed her in there. Several of them had been caught up in her perennially messy hair. She was starting to panic now. Pumpkin was barking wildly. The bees weren't bothering him, but he thought all this running around was a great lark. April burst back out of the bathroom again, flapping her hands in her face. She'd been stung several times already. This was not what she'd intended. One or two stings would have been enough to get them out of school for the rest of the day. The bees could stop now. Eight or nine stings was way more than she needed. Suddenly, splash! April was hit in the face by a geyser of water. It startled her and she lost her breath, but the cold on her stings was a blessed relief. The buzzing went away. Even the bees caught up in her hair were now waterlogged and less angry. The geyser stopped. April wiped her eyes to see Joe standing in front of her with the gardener's high-pressure hose. Joe had several large welts on his own face. He was dripping wet too. Thanks, said April, in a rare moment of sibling affection. April did not often thank Joe for the many things he did to take care of her on a daily basis. She took him for granted the way most children take their mothers for granted. But being rescued from a swarm of angry bees, a self-inflicted swarm of bees in particular, made her feel a wave of affection for him. And that is the end of the chapter, so we'll leave it there, and next time we'll pick up with chapter three. Thank you very much for listening. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.